needs help. It's in! And when you do things like that about a man like Stuart Pearce, I'm, I, I've kept really quiet, but I'll tell you something. He went down in my estimation when he said that. We have not resorted to that, but I'll tell you, you can tell him now if you're watching it, we're still fighting for this title, and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. One on one with Harkness. Les Ferdinand is in for Newcastle. And David James had to prevent his side going behind again. Barnes. Andy hanging on for man of the match. Barnes. Rush. Barnes. Still John Barnes. Collymore closing in. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the teams of our lives. My name is Marcus Speller, Andy Brassel is here bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Andy, how the dickens are you? Yeah, I am both those things and I'm very excited about today's edition, Marcus. Mm -hmm. I am very excited. I think, Andy, did you... I think you hinted uh, what was to come on this episode on social media or in the Discord or somewhere... So some people will be um, very expectant and will not be disappointed, and other people will be delightfully surprised if, if, <laughs> if uh, uh, such a thing uh, exists. Today we are talking about Kevin Keegan's Newcastle United, a.k.a. the Entertainers. Andy, what immediately leaps to mind when you think of this? Um, Mike Ashley downing a pint at Arsenal. Right, okay. <laughs> You've just... <laughs> oh no, have I got the wrong script? <laughs> oh, you've got the wrong team as well. <laughs> that was uh, that was the that, they weren't the entertainers, Andy. That was the uh, what was that? This sort of um, the encore with a tribute act, and that was what that was actually. You have the you have the main act who do uh, who do a really good set, but you feel like ah, oh, but just missing a little something. Oh, here's the encore. Hang on a minute, that's a tribute act. All all I will say though is I, I think it is kind of important in the story because when we think of that that Keegan at Newcastle obviously we think about playing Keegan at Newcastle depending on how old we are um, back in the 80s yeah I don't think of that <laughs> but you've seen the footage right I mean you've seen not much of it to be honest um, I think of but, Keegan as a player at Liverpool and Hamburg mainly because I've seen more footage of that but of, of of course, if you to me the first bit of Keegan at Newcastle is helicopter. him, yeah, helicopter, exactly, <laughs> off the pitch after the the, the friendly against Liverpool, yeah. which seemed like an extraordinary way, really, of unnecessary of, of leaving football. Well, some some would say that those people would be wrong, Marcus. Yeah, those people would it be was wrong. Very necessary. It was it was nearly eight years after he'd finished playing for the club he returned as manager. Yeah, and, be, and, and they were in a state, Andy. That they were, they were, and I think, like I said, it is worth touching on the weird second spell in two thousand and eight under Mike Ashley, mm. um, simply because I remember being um, in the pub with some friends on the night that Keegan's return was announced, and some of those friends 
were Geordies and big Newcastle United fans. And they went absolutely nuts. They they mm. were going crazy. And everyone knew it, it was a weird twist. Everyone knew that it wasn't going to end how it did the first time or create the magic that it did the first time. But what do we live off as as football fans, off hope, as off possibility? And, you know, there are so few times when you get it distilled in a moment like that, exactly what it means to people. And it's because of that first spell. And he always had that special relationship with Newcastle United fans because of that playing spell between uh, 1982 and 84 when they got back up to the old first division. Um, and he always felt Newcastle was his, his destiny because his, his dad and his uncle um, had been from there and, and, and supported uh, Newcastle United and told him loads of tales about Jackie Milburn and, and, and what have you. So playing for Newcastle United meant so much to him. And then when it felt like he'd been whisked away, never to, to go and live in Spain with his family and never to bother football again. Well, he was off the grid. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, there, there were these stories that he'd, he'd watched two matches in the last mm. seven, eight years um, when he took over the Newcastle United job in um, 92, how, how unprepared he would he would be for it. Um, but he made it work. And he made it work, I think, because he had, I guess, a certain naivety. Uh, like people would associate that with Keegan's Newcastle United. Um, but I think a, a really quite innocent belief in what they could be, because you're right, they're in a state near the bottom of the old second division, the current championship, um, in serious danger of relegation for the very first time. And that's to the uh, third tier. Exactly. And, he was brought in to save them, really, after yeah. all the Ardiles had, had buggered it up a bit. Yeah, and I, I think really there was, it, it seemed like a weird appointment then, you know, it, it seemed as if he didn't have the experience or the know-how. But the fact that he, he came in, he looked at the training facilities and said, look, we've got to be more professional than this. We've got to aspire to, to more than this. Of course, getting away from um, the, the spectre of relegation w- was what started it all. But then from there, the oh. rise was absolutely meteoric. And of course, he was backed by the, the, the money of Sir John Hall. And when we talk about like mobilizing a football culture. So whether we're talking about Luis Felipe Scolari and, and, and Portugal, for example, you know, that idea of, you know, beating your chest for the homeland. Actually, Sir John Hall was pretty good at that. This idea of conceptualizing what he called the the Geordie nation. It yeah, was something right. that, 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 that he coined, wasn't it? Mm. And, you know, I, I think... It, it does feel different because it's a it's a one club city. People don't support anyone else, and there there are so few places like that in the world, in the footballing world. But Keegan totally totally got that, and so I think th- the idea of um, Sir John Hall reviving that sort of civic pride, that regional pride, and and that allied to someone who really understood what that meant to the the, the people of the of, of the city. Mm-hmm. And someone who was so incredibly charismatic in in, in Keegan, I, I think it was it was just the perfect storm, really. Well, it was, and I think he, as you say, the understanding of a very unique situation that that a lot of other people who have come in there ha- have not fully underst- understood. And I know that in the modern day, it is different to the nineteen nineties in a lot of respects. But Keegan, 
he's so personable as and so likable as well. Obviously, we mm. we chuckle about how kind of unlucky he is, but at no point are we saying we dislike the man. Uh, he, you know, when he went there, as I say, he kept them up. They only they finished twentieth, four points above the relegation zone, but he brought through some young players who were were local lads as well. You know, Lee Clark, Steve Howie, Steve Watson, Robbie Elliott. Yeah. And it fostered that kind of team spirit and that and that kind of uniqueness of the region. And he made good signings as well. Getting Peter Beardsley in, for example, you know, Philippe Albert, mm. Andy Cole. You know, great, great signings. And when they won the league the next the next year, um, I, I forget how to call it now, the old division. You have to say the second tier of English football because the, yes. the names change so much, of course. Yes. So when they won the second tier of English football... Um, that was the year Manchester United won the the top flight, of course, when Ferguson's sort of dynasty really, really began, mm. if, you, if you see what I mean. Obviously, it, the, the, the wheels were in motion um, before then, and they'd won trophies. But, but when they went up that year, there's a bit of a myth that Keegan's team, they would, they would score loads, which they did, and they were useless defensively. Well, actually, in that year that they went up, they outscored everybody, and they had the best defensive record as well. Mm. They'd signed Andy Cole, and his goals had, had helped them, and that was a shrewd signing as well. And then they entered the Premier League, and and the Premier League, or the Premiership, as it was called uh, back then, it was... I, I don't quite remember that, that sort of the early 92, 93, 93, 94. It was sort of more 94, 95 that I kind of really vividly remember. But it seemed quite exciting, at the at the time, the rebrand had sort of caught a bit of the imagination, perhaps Andy. Even though that's that sounds awfully kind of uh, corporate kind of talk, but there did seem to be a, a fair bit of excitement. I think. Well, I I think the rise of Manchester United mm. and actually Newcastle are the other team from the early years of the Premier League, Blackburn Rovers. That, that really no no. I think I think just going back to those two, they're the two that really make mm. it catch fire in the very early years. This does coincide because, with the ban uh, from European football being lifted as well. Yeah, that's, that, and that's that is true. crucial to this. Yeah, that that's uh, and it's more crucial as as the decade goes on. Yeah. I think, but I think in terms of really capturing the imagination and, and making it take off as a concept, mm. um, there's nothing more than United getting into their stride uh, and. The, the Keegan years at, at Newcastle that really make those early years before you get to the the end of the decade and you get into the United Arsenal rivalry, which I still think is something the Premier League misses a little bit. I don't yeah. think there's been a rivalry to match that since, but mm-hmm. th- that's to stray from the point a little bit. I think the sense of dynamism that was around Newcastle, once you get to 1995 there's a sense that they can really challenge Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Manchester United are, are not quite yet serial winners. Um, they're clearly the preeminent team in, in English football under under Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, but it's... The, the way that Newcastle are going, it's so stratospheric. It's extraordinary. Because, of course, when they came up in 1993 and you talked about the goals of Andy Cole mm. I finished third yeah uh, which which back then was only good enough for a UEFA Cup place by the way yeah. um but you, you know you th- you think of the 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 players and the, you know the, the way they were so front foot then the, the confidence with which they came into the, the Premier League and Andy Cole's a huge part of that now of course they start 94 95 very well as well 
um, with a with a string of wins. I think it was six, seven in a row at the start of the season, and then you get to January where they sell Andy Cole to Manchester United for what at the time was an absolutely whopping seven million. And you talked mm. about how personable Keegan was. Oh, how, was... How, how real he is, how yeah. believable he is. When when he comes out onto the steps <laughs> at St. James's Park and explains it to the supporters when they're absolutely frothing. And mm. I remember I arrived in Newcastle absolutely to live. in the scenes. Yeah, I arrived in Newcastle to live in the autumn of that year. So September, October, 95. And one of my earliest memories was um, having a look at the big HMV in Northumberland Street, because that was where you went and bought records in those days. (laughs) And the bargain bin was uh, just full of one pound Andy Cole t-shirts, which was him <laughs> celebrating a goal, and it said "Goal King Cole" oh. on the on, on the on the on the front. So um, I, I suspect those uh, worked as pajamas for quite a lot of students mm. back in back in those days. But the recovery from there, and yeah, he he did get money to spend in 1995, and you, you look at how right they got it in the transfer mm. market. And we said about him having the back in, you still have to bring the right players in. And that yeah. was the summer that they got Hislop, that they got Ginola, that they got Les Ferdinand. And the return of Peter Beardsley is absolutely huge mm-hmm. to, to that team as well. Now, it's, it's kind of sad now because Beardsley, certainly his, his image is discredited because of the way that he he left Newcastle United um in in, in the last couple of years but but he was as also a, as that a great player, player back then so as, think, a, as a player he was he yeah. was, he was adored he's he was all, adored he's he was things, he was he was adored above all other players by Geordies and i think the 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 little bit of imagination he had it's funny because the link between him and Keegan goes back to Keegan's spell playing at Newcastle United when he was just, you know, he played with some incredible players for, for Liverpool and Hamburg, particularly, as you say. And he saw Beardsley for the first time in trend. And he's like, whoa, this is this is a bit different. And that's what made him so incredible. Beardsley had a lot of quality uh, on the football pitch, of course. Um, going back to that Andy Cole business when he, when he sold him, you're right. The fans, again, it shows you. It's partly to do with the time period. Again, you don't really see it that much these days, but also the club as well. But also the how they knew Keegan was as as a man as well as a as a manager. The fact that you have them all sort of stood there wanting an explanation and Keegan coming out. I mean, it's, it is extraordinary. But Keegan says you're just going to have to trust me on this, or words to that effect. You're going to have to trust me because mm. he knows what it means to these people. A lot of managers, yeah. they wouldn't bother doing that. A lot of people just go away, nonsense. Or the manager, it, it, it's 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 almost like a beautiful moment, really, to show you how connected manager and and fans were then. And of course, the ninety five ninety six season is the one. You know, that's the that's the season that we remember really with Keegan's Newcastle. Yes, a, a, a flipping is... great campaign, and famously lost to Manchester United right at the end of the title race when it went down to the last. I mean, effectively, you could argue it was finished in the round of matches in the round of, of games prior to that. But it was the famous out. There's so many famous moments from that season, Andy. Yeah, and I, I don't suppose we should start with it, the, the bit where it blew up. So no. we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the thing that really struck me about that is, um, like I said, Newcastle is, is, is special mm-hmm. in terms of football cities. Now, I know some people outside Newcastle who aren't really familiar with, 
with it think of it as a, as a bit of entitlement like we feel we should be winning things uh, i think particularly coming out of this time it's, it's not that at all I, I think you look at where the stadium is right in the center of the city like right in That's, the center of incredible. the city you know you can go to the pub 60 seconds walk away or go, go to any one of a number of pubs 60 seconds walk yeah. away oh it's brilliant uh, it's absolutely uh, brilliant the way it, where it is it's perfectly it, set up I, I lived about 10 minutes walk away from there in, in my first year at university and I heard every one of those goals at home going yeah. in, in, in the first season. The, um, the roar when a goal goes in at Newcastle United um, is just something else. It's, it's really, really quite spectacular. Mm. Uh, you know, I, th- I think I'd only really compare it to Marseille, which is very similar in the sense of football is inescapable in 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 the Mm -hmm. city and the feeling around the city was just astonishing in in that season the fact that not just that that they were winning but they they captured the imagination and i struggled to think of too many teams like that you know the fact that they'd moved on from cole so quickly the fact that yes ferdinand hit the ground running so quickly but the team was the team was built for him. You had super adventurous fullbacks. Um, you had Ginola mm. playing really, really well. And Ferdinand could score so many types of goals as well. Mm. You know, you, you do think of him like heading in Ginola crosses, um, mm. but, you know, he could um, he could steam pass players. He could actually drop deep and make passes as well. It, he was such a complete centre forward in that season, Ferdinand. And... Uh, it's, it's one of my, I guess, Premier League disappointments that he never really went on to yeah. repeat that season after season after season. I mean, obviously, he was partly marginalised by the arrival of, of, of Shearer, even down to him losing the number nine shirt, which I'm sure on the surface he was, he was fine about. I, I would have felt a little put out about it if I was him after all, all he'd done. Um, but, you know, obviously injuries held him back um, a little bit in the, in the campaigns after that. But... He was just absolutely unstoppable, particularly on the on, in the first half of that season. And you think you go from you know being a good player for QPR to scoring twenty five league goals in a in a you know Premier League title near miss. It's it's pretty pretty fantastic. Yeah, I mean the the, the momentum that that, that they built up for the first sort of half of that season with the goals from Ferdinand and and other players as well chipping in, of course, your Beardsleys and so mm. on. And they were un- they were unbeatable for for a while. They were undefeated, and it and it just seemed that it clicked. That a bit like when Liverpool won the league last season with under Klopp, of course. The you know they'd come close. That this, sorry, they're coming close with Liverpool. That, that that's not the comparison. As in Liverpool, you know they'd been building, and then mm. when it really clicked, two thousand and nineteen twenty. Liverpool, the, the momentum they had, they they were just absolutely bulletproof. You know what I mean? They could just they could win, they could they could get out of trouble, they could steamroll teams, and that was the kind of momentum that Keegan had with Newcastle. And everybody, um, every neutral, wanted them to win the league again. They were so likable. They played such great football, mm. uh, and also as well to chuck in another sort of couple of stats again to kind of maybe breaks of myths you know they they were the third highest scorers that season in the league behind Liverpool and Manchester United but not far off they had the fifth def- best defensive record in the league only conceded yeah. two more goals than Manchester United so again this myth that oh they left the back door up and they didn't care we're out we'll outscore you it's not quite true that's unfortunate really because they were just defined by that that run into the season yeah which seems harsh when you yeah. compare it against 
just against all other Newcastle yeah. United seasons, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where you know that, that, that they haven't won the league since what the twenties, oh, and you, you know like that. that they, um, you know that they didn't just get so close. It was the way they did it, as, as, yeah. as you said, Marcus. But the, the running kind of sticks with them, and you know you talked about um, the, the fact that you know when they. Um, didn't win at Nottingham Forest um, a couple of games before the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. That that seemed like the crucial one. Everyone thinks about um, Keegan sort of blowing his top, much to Ferguson's pres- presumed hilarity at home. Uh, after that game, they won quite narrowly at Leeds, which was, I think, the third game before the end of the season. The reality is the bit where they lost the title was before that. Mm. So between, what, February and March, mm-hmm. that they... They lost five of eight games, yeah. and and that that was the bit that they couldn't get over. One of those was the one where um, Eric Cantona, who really you can talk about Newcastle losing the title that season. Really, it was it was Cantona that won it. You know, after he came back in October, he went on this incredible surge, and part of that was the winner he scored at the Gallagher end. Uh, um, in a game in, that could have gone either way. Game. Could yeah, have gone no, either way that game. You look back Schmeichel at some of the highlights made, and you think, Schmeichel oh. made some incredible saves in yeah. that first half. And, um, you know, Newcastle dominated be- before the break. And um, I'm just gutted then, thinking then about this, though, Andy. <laughs> this is what I mean. Like, when I look back at it, I really, mm. I still want them to win that season. This is it. We, we joke yeah. about it, you know. I, I mean, just a little tiny tidbit that's not really, it may not be worth anything to, to some people, but like an Englishman has never won the Premier League. Keegan was so yeah. close. He was so yeah. close. And again, so very, very likeable. Still is. Yeah, and that they were, what, 12 points clear in January. Oh. I, I mean, th- that's why it's seen as, you know, the ultimate footballing Devon Lock, C- mm. certainly in terms of um, English teams. But, you know, we, we talked about some of the players like Ginola, Ferdinand, Beardsley. Asprey um, came in. Yeah, and a, a lot of people unfairly see that as the moment Mm-hmm. where it fell apart because of course they in the February they bought David Batty and uh, Faustino Espria. Um Espria made some great contributions. Yeah. I mean uh, his fingerprints were all over the the, the 4-3 defeat at, at Liverpool which A was not his fault and B I think can you think of any better Premier League games than that? The the, <laughs> the one they lost at the start of April. I yeah. mean that is that is the one really isn't it? I mean that that was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And again could have gone either way. Um, even after they got pegged back to 3-3, Les Ferdinand had a great chance in that, which uh, David James saved. And, you know, there were so many moments w- where Newcastle could have pocketed that game. But it was, it was a really good Liverpool side, we, we have to say that. Well, I mean, yeah. um, and, you know, I, I think you think back to Asprey's very first game, actually, for, for Newcastle. It's when he came on as sub um, in the game against Middlesbrough. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he wasn't fit, wasn't expected to play. And he came on and set up the equaliser for Steve Watson when they were losing uh, 1-0. And, and, and Les Ferdinand went on and, and, and scored the winner. So I think to say that Aspria blew it off course is, 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 is nonsense. Um, clearly, they, they had some issues. I, I think one of the, one of the big issues certainly as the season went on and they were expected to close out games a little bit more the, the, the fullbacks were never good enough mm-hmm. I, I don't think for a, a size of that mm-hmm. that stature and I mean that with all due respect to, to, to John Beresford mm-hmm. if, if they'd have had slightly better fullbacks I think they would have got there maybe if they'd have got David Batty a little bit earlier because Rob Lee was always better on the front foot and I, I, th- I think if you look at that little bit of cover mm-hmm. maybe that they lacked because 
you know Philippe Albert loved to step out and <laughs> he was he was wonderful to watch doing that as as as, as well when you say about you know trying to get them over the line I, th- I think you know you're right and the results suggest that as well because again you look at that group of matches where they lost was it five out of eight you say um, yeah you said and and then there's a few one nil wins including that one you mentioned against Leeds then mm. you have the game against Forest they're one nil up it takes an Ian Wone cracker as Ian oh, Wone it's amazing beautiful yeah. goal um yeah it, you know it takes that to kind of do it and and they lose the league they, they they lost by four points. Well, they drew their last two games. There's your four points. Now they were they were worse off goal difference, so I think they would have needed an extra point. But it but it shows you that that was probably playing on Keegan's mind. That the fact that there was those series of one nils, and then of course the final games, it was it was one all, and then and then and then one all. Um, and 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 they just they, yeah. I, and I think we we have to talk about that moment that. that well, actually, the, the the moment for me is when Collymore scores that winner in the four three, and Keegan slumped behind the advertising board. You mm. would never ever see Ferguson do that. If they'd have lost four no, three, Ferguson that's would true. have never reacted in such an sort of an emotional way. If you see what I mean, and Keegan knew he could see that this was slipping away, and of course the moment came when he when he made that outburst on on television, and it was and it was kind of really done. Yeah, and I think when you when you look at like. The, former Newcastle United players, when they talk about the arrival, say, of Aspria, to briefly touch on that again, mm-hmm. um, all of them say, well, Tino contributed and he was he was great for us, but you had to understand what he was. You had, to, you had to understand what he was. And I think it was, it was really Keegan not finding the right tactical balance. It's not even about the wrong players coming in, but I don't think he really managed to quite mm. recalibrate the, the 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 team after that. Mm. He, was, he was great to watch us for it. And 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 obviously he was there for a, for a little while after. Mm. So Newcastle they finished second. It, it was such a shame that they they didn't do it, but they gave us one of the most memorable seasons um that, that you know of our of our generation. But of course he didn't resign until January uh, 1997, uh, the 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 following season when when Newcastle they'd beaten Manchester United five nil at home. You know it was and I, yet, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, they wouldn't have finished top two if if Kenny Dalglish hadn't taken over. Right. And I'm not saying Kenny Dalglish turned out to be a, a great manager for them because he, he didn't really. But the reason they surged at the end of the season is because Keegan moved on, and mm-hmm. he, he said at the time, you know, I, I felt like I'd. I'd, I'd taken the club as, as as far as I could. I think maybe if we're being honest, the feeling was perhaps a, a little bit mutual. I don't think he ever got over ninety five, ninety six, and no. and who who can blame him? Yeah. And I, I think that pressure as well of being. He was almost a, a Pep Guardiola at Barcelona figure for Newcastle. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I we talked mean. about we talked about him addressing the addressing the fans on the on the on the steps after the Andy Cole transfer. He was front and center you know he was very much an old school manager he was like not just the the coach not just the manager mm-hmm. he was someone who was yeah this figurehead for the Geordie nation in a way and that's an immense amount of pressure and that just can't go on oh. for, for forever he was exhausted by the end yeah, emotionally just in, in tatters I'd imagine you mm. know? and and obviously stepped down and and then I mean you think about that club you know the the, the highs and lows since Keegan and you'd probably say especially the last 10 years or 30 whatever it is 
it's it's been lows. I mean, in two thousand one and two thousand two, they finished fourth under Sir Bobby Robson, and they had quite an impressive Champions League run under him. But they've never reached the highs of 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 that Keegan side. I know they've they've reached um, a cup final and 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 one or two other bits and pieces, but but that that season ninety five ninety six under Keegan, it lives long in the memory, and it's. And it really is a shame that they didn't do it. And I know that it's defined, perhaps incorrectly and unfairly, that it's it's defined that they didn't do it. But I I just I personally can't get past that. I think they played great football. As I say, such a likable side, and and I remember them fondly and I remember them with a smile. But there is that tinge of ah, if only they'd have done it. Are you basically saying Manchester United have got enough Premier League trophies? Maybe they should just retrospectively <laughs> give them the '96 one. Yes, I think I think that's that's what this situation calls for—an enormous amount of patronising towards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you are. You didn't win it, but we'll just say you did. Uh, okay, um, marvelous, Andy. Pleasure talking to you about this one. Um, but as I say, we're all said and done. It is. It is ultimately with a smile. Uh, we remember this uh, Keegan Newcastle United side by um, and I hope you do ladies and gentlemen there we are thank you very much for uh, for listening to the teams of our lives we're back next week with another fabulous team see you then this was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network 